Hello, it's uh, Dr. Matthew James, President and CEO of Euromanganese. Euromanganese is developing a high purity manganese project for the electric vehicle battery industry in the heart of Europe in the Czech Republic. Brilliant. Good to see you, Matt, um, and welcome aboard. You're, you're not long on these shores yourself. You, you kind of came on board in December. Uh, what, what That's did, correct. Why don't, you, why don't you start with a little bit about your background relevant to what, you're, what you've been asked to do, and then maybe tell us you know, what problems you've been brought on board to solve. Sure. Uh, very quickly, my background, uh, material scientist, um, went into banking in, in London, Deutsche Bank for three years, four years in McKinsey after that in London. And then I uh, went to Australia and got involved in the natural resources industry. And I was nine years at Linus Corporation, where we developed, you know, the rare earth company, which is now supplying 20% of the world's rare earths from, from when I joined it, which is a deposit in the ground. Uh, and really what I've come into Euromanganese to do is to, is to take Euromanganese through that same journey. Um, you know, we have a deposit in the ground, but we now need to secure customer uptake contracts, um, uh, project financing, which was the main focus of, of my job at Linus. Uh, you know, we are nearing the end of the feasibility study and the, the team has done a fantastic job to take it where it is today, identify the deposit, go through the engineering, fantastic work on the ground socially in, in terms of social engagement, but it now needs to come up to the next level. And so just getting some disciplines around that off-day contract financing and then moving into the EPCM strategy and getting that right, uh, getting the right team to execute on the ground in the Czech Republic is, is really my focus. Fantastic. Look, um, I think because we caught up with Marco Romero, crikey, beginning of 2020, beginning of COVID. So his team's kind of brought it to this point And now you're, again, just that next step change in terms of the delivery of the things that you just mentioned. That's right. But, but, but Marco, I would say Marco is still connected to the company as an advisor. And... Um, He's focusing on new projects for us. So, you know, my vision for the company is to is to make it a multi-asset uh, manganese platform, um, both in Europe and and further abroad. Right. Okay. But for you guys, in terms of the, the environment you you operate in, manganese, right? I, I I would say it's not that well known with uh, within the investing community. So maybe run through if you don't mind. Uh, applications uses clearly it's feeding into the EV thematic here, but maybe just broad macro for people new to it. Yeah, it's often called the forgotten metal in the battery. <laughs> yeah. So, but it plays a fundamental and vital role in the cathode of the, of the battery. Um, every nickel NMC is nickel, manganese, cobalt. But people talk about manganese uh, last or if at all, um, but it's a vital. And in, in the chemistries today, it is only, or it's about, you know, 10 to 20% in the cathode, uh, but when you're talking about an industry uh, in Europe and, and or even globally that's going to five terawatts of, of battery capacity, that's a huge amount of manganese, but it's, you know, we're talking about over 900,000 tonnes of manganese, but what's really critical is it's the high purity manganese. There's plenty of manganese mine, but the, 99% goes into the steel industry. And that's not a sufficiently high purity that's required for the battery industry. So the bottleneck is in the high purity capacity uh, uh, to produce it for the battery industry. 
Right. Okay. And um, in terms of the, the where this high purity manganese comes from uh, in, in the world, are there many uh, mines? Are there many producers? I mean, what's the competition like? No. So there, there are no primary sources of high purity manganese in Europe or North America today. Uh, there is a small producer in Europe that brings ore in from Africa. There's a producer in South Africa that produces metal. That's not used in the battery industry. Uh, but the vast majority, you know, 90% comes from China. As with a lot of these critical minerals, our dependency on China is, um, is worrying. It's well. Here's the thing. You know, you just you just come back from a, a, a um, meeting in Europe. You have been um, meeting up with the Battery Alliance, um, so the European Battery Alliance. They seem to have got their act together because when when we talk on multiple shows that we have on on, on the platform um, about the. European uh, ecosystem and uh, EU taxonomies, and it, it, it all feels a little bit disjointed. But the, your, this, this, this group, the European Battery Alliance, seem to have got their act together and have got people focused in on what it's going to take to actually deliver into these critical mineral lists, which have just sat as an item, item on the page. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how they're kind of joining things up and maybe, you know, how you fit in there? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I was uh, in Brussels uh, with a, a high-level meeting of the, of the European Battery Alliance. And what they've done extremely well in developing the EV battery uh, and EV market in Europe is they've joined together the industry, um, you know, the key players, the OEMs, the, the cathode manufacturers, in Europe, together with um, the, the Vice President of the EU, Maris uh, Sakovic, who's who's really been a driver for them. You know, they've 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 asked, and he's delivered on on many uh, levels within the within the EV battery and, and EV market. Now the focus, very much of that whole group, um, the European Battery Alliance (EIT). Uh, the industry and the and the EU policymakers uh, is focused on the raw material side. They, they've done a very good job in the middle of the of the supply chain, but they recognise the raw material supplies. Um, uh, you know, particularly with the with the terrible events that are happening in Europe at the moment, the reliance on whether it's you know gas or, or raw materials. Um, Europe need to be a lot more secure. They already recognise that, but I think this is an added driver. Um, and the focus of the European Battery Alliance is now on both ends of, the, of that supply chain. And when I say that, that's the raw materials, um, making sure that the critical projects in Europe are um, identified and um, potentially fast-tracked through the permitting processes. Um, and then also the recycling end, that's the other end of the, of the supply chain that, that they're focused on, making sure that the batteries are being recycled and fed back into the EV market themselves. Right, okay. I mean, well, the, now we're getting to the rub of it. Can you maybe just share some of the some of the numbers um, around the, around the high purity coming? You've told us like maybe where the players are and, and the fact that it's um, 
hard to get hold of and not a lot of operators or, or, or players in the European system. So if, if the EU is to deliver what it says, which is it, it's its own um, EV ecosystem, how, how does how do the, how how does pricing affecting um, how is price affecting your ability to you know deliver this program? Do you need to see it go up more because it's had a, it's had a nice sort of uplift recently? But is it is it able? Are you able to produce economically at current levels, or do you need incentives, grants, etc., and uh, from yeah, the it's EU? A, it's, a, it's a very good question. So um, by twenty thirty. The EU needs about 250,000 tonnes of high purity manganese. Um, our project will produce 50,000 tonnes. Um, so we will only be able to supply at that time 20% of the market. Um, so the, there are other projects in the, in the pipeline, but I think we're, we're a good couple of years ahead of others. Um, in terms of pricing, the, the ben, there's only one benchmark price for high purity manganese, and that's XWorks China, and it's what's known as Class One, and that the, the the it's the impurities which are important in high purity manganese, and the impurities in the Chinese Class One material um, don't meet the specifications required by the European cathode manufacturers. You know, we've seen those specs and we, we can compare them. And our process is designed to meet that higher specification. So immediately there's an extra cost for producing a higher purity material. Then also we're in Europe, we're not in China. And that's a higher cost base. You know, uh, I think everyone recognizes, you know, power prices, labor prices, and also the environmental um, Emissions and limits are tighter in Europe. So that adds, adds an extra cost as well. So when we're in discussions with the, the customers, there's a recognition that, you know, looking at the index price in XWorks China for this lower purity material versus what we're supplying just from a purity and cost perspective, there needs to be a differential uh, between that. And then you add on top of that, well, we will be the only secure, traceable, ECG compliant green material available in Europe, and there's a premium for that as well. So we are um, using the benchmark as a basis, uh, but then applying those cost differentials and premium on top of that for our pricing discussions. Right. I guess the bit that interests me is where does that premium come from? Because um, if the customers recognise it and will pay for it because there's a shortage, they can't get it elsewhere. That's that's one thing. That's that's in a, in a, in a contract. If it's coming from politicians, from 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 governments, that can go as quickly as it as it comes as, as they flip onto the next new thing. So. Where, where where's the where's that premium going to come from? What does that look like? Are they going to be tax breaks? Are they going to be grants or other types of incentives? Um, you know, in terms of you know, your, your build out process. Yeah. So so we we do have a you know the Czech government is very supportive. We have a a tax break from them for a number of years uh, as an incentive. Uh, the way it's going to come from is uh, there's a term called the battery passport. And basically, this is 
uh, relating to the legislation or or maybe even a uh, sort of brand uh, an accreditation, I think is probably a better word for it, that batteries that are made or supplied into Europe have to meet um, a set of criteria around ESG. And, and they'll be you know, accredited or they won't be accredited. Uh, and if they're not accredited, then they're likely to be, have a uh, import duty or, or, or penalty applied to them. And that is going to be a, a, a leveling up of the playing field um, from a battery perspective. Um, now, when we're in, you know, our ESG compliance, you know, we've just, we just had the European Bank of Reconstruction Development invest eight and a half million. That's a huge tick for us from an ESG perspective because they have, you know, very, you know, best in class standards that they require for a investment into a company that they meet their, their ESG standards. Um, so I'm confident that any battery maker that uses our manganese, and they're obviously going to have to do the same with the nickel and the, and, and the other materials, um, will be able to meet that accreditation. And we're designing our ESG program just at the moment, our, our systems and, and, and targets around the 27 uh, ESG elements that have been identified by um, the Battery uh, Alliance for that, that battery passport. Oh, that's interesting because we, we we talk about the ESG a lot, and companies come and tell us about that they're doing a lot at local level for whether it be First Nations or digging, drilling well water wells, or um, engaging properly with the with, with the locals more broadly. It, what they don't say is here's a list of things that we are obliged to to take off and 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 meet. Um, that is a, an industry-wide uh, agreed, you know, protocol as, as, as it were. So, yeah. wh- who's put that together? So that's the the Global Battery Alliance, which has come out of the World Economic Forum. But they're working with the European Battery Alliance, and you know, they're, they're just starting out on this journey. But they have now put together their list of twenty-seven indicators uh, in their ESG framework. Um, you know, even things like, uh, obviously, we don't have to deal with it, but, you know, child labour uh, in some of the battery materials, that is an issue. And, um, but, you know, CO2 footprint is obviously, you know, a very key one as well. But right across the ESG spectrum, they've identified these uh, these indicators that, that they're going to be measuring um, the producers on for, for the batteries. Okay, okay. I, I just think it's interesting that people, because m- most companies are, are, are waiting around, not quite knowing. They've got their own version of what ESG means, right? So, and I think if there's a uniform uh, protocol, then you know you can compare companies more readily. So, I, th- I think that's that's really interesting indeed. But but just on, just coming back to the the, the, the money side of things, because I, I just think it's really important for people to understand what the, the the playing field. So you're saying there's there's potential for like bifurcated market in terms of, of, of pricing, which will be leveled up with either um, taxes or, or or other 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 kind of tools available to governments in terms of penalizing or incentivizing companies, whether they be inside or outside of the of the EU. It it gets a bit messy eventually because you you 
you need to you need to find um, there'll be a point at which there's a there's a massive delta between the supply and, and the demand. And do you think standards will slip? Well, I think I think that's um, I think you know we, we can talk about these premiums, but but the underlying macro level is like you say, there is a, a huge deficit in this material growing. Uh, we use a, a you know a, a, a consultancy that, that provides independent data to us, and even if they add in all this supply that's potentially in the in the pipeline, plus they add another huge water that could come out of China, there's still a 400,000 um, tonne per annum gap in 2030. So that benchmark that we talked about, we believe, and they believe, that, that, you know, putting out price projections, that benchmark, headline benchmark is going to increase in price um, over, over the uh, long term as well. So the underlying benchmark is going to increase in price, plus there will be this bifurcated market, like you say, um, the Europe is not going to be able to supply its, its, all its needs. It's going to have to buy from other places. We've just seen VW do a nickel and cobalt deal in China. Um, what they're going to have to do is make sure those suppliers meet the meet the criteria that are being set, so that they can bring their cathode materials into their gig factories in Europe um, and meet the meet the required standards. So it's going to be up to the industry to make sure that their supply sources are meeting these requirements. And if they're not, then the question is, how is it going to be policed, if you like, or, 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 or credited? Um, and yes, there's good, it's, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but... Uh, I think it's a few, it's we, we've spoken to a few companies in terms of you know, track, tracking... Um, um, you know all, all, all of the components in a supply chain, so you, you know you, you can test whether it has been whether eth yeah. ethically sourced or what, what's happening within. You know, it comes down to that traceability. Yeah, and really understanding if you're outside of Europe, and it's easy for us inside of Europe to prove the traceability. They can come and see the mine, etc. If you're outside of Europe, making sure that there's a system of traceability back to exactly where that material mm -hmm. came from, and then. You know that material is compliant. Um, but going back to one of your earlier questions, is okay. Well, how does this price affect your economics? So, with that uh, underlying increase for price forecast and the and the premium that we're going to get in Europe, you know, it's it, the project economics should be very strong. Um, our PEA was was uh, was very positive. And we're just about to finish our DFS. Um, and, you know, I think we're going to see cost increases that's happened across, across the, the, the ballpark. But uh, I still feel that the project economics will be even stronger than the PEA going forward. But uh, I can't give you any numbers until we've actually finished that work. Okay, but Where we're at is just compiling all of our final costs. Right. I, I was about to say, because every, every company I speak to, you know, costs are going up, whether it be, 
you know, reagents or energy prices or fuel prices, uh, labor, um, delays to um, the start of, of, of projects. It, it's, it's, getting, it's getting tough out there across the board. You know, I think that's w well um, understood. Um, can I just talk about the EU then? Because we, we, we're kind of bouncing around, you know, this, this e e EU, um, you know, infrastructure has been put together, you know, you know, and, and driven uh, in part by the, the European Battery Alliance. But you're in Czechoslovakia. Uh, you're, you're going through the study phases. Czech Republic. I say Czech, Czech. the Czech Republic. Ooh, yes. blast of the past. Uh, <laughs> Czech Republic, you know, right smack in the, in the, in the middle of Europe. Um, Dave, how, how much help are you getting from the, the, the Czech government? Um, because we've seen cases across Europe where projects are being stopped or blocked, whether it be you know by lo local level, uh, local government level, or federally. Um, you know how truly joined up is this? I mean, I, I suspect I'm, I'm talking probably about mining, and you're you're obviously about you know dealing with tailings, you know recovery, uh, remediation, and rehabilitation. So perhaps it's yours is a different case. But what what are you seeing? In terms of the response from the Czech government, yeah, so I think you're right. There, there, there are multiple levels there. Uh, let's start at the local level, and we are, as you say, remediating a currently polluting site from an old pyrite mine that was closed in the 1970s. And as we process material, we'll be putting modern tailings management standards in and and stopping that pollution once we process all the tailings. The local government recently just um, approved that we have two local communities. Uh, the Chalavitsa uh, municipality has just approved a land access deal through a rental mechanism. Um, so we can now access their part of the land, um, which we need to do to, to get that land access. And they've been very supportive and we, we, we've got very good relationships. Uh, the other, um, local communities, Trinafka community, they've just approved um, rezoning of their part of the, of the deposit into a mining mining lease. So that just demonstrates the local community support for the project. You know, we are going to, we are working hand in hand with, with the local governments, you know, even to the extent where they're advertising the jobs that we're creating on their websites because um, uh, we're recruiting now in for our demonstration plan. Um, we're also, you know, good communication at the provincial level uh, for that paradise uh, area. And then at the federal level, you know, we have very good support from, from the government. As I mentioned before, the tax break, they are also using, you know, they talk about our project. There was a meeting of trade ministers in Europe and the Czech trade minister uses our um, project as an example of the, you know, what the Czech Republic is contributing to the EV battery supply chain. So it's very visible, uh, both at the European and, and the Czech government level. Uh, we're very visible in the local community. We're communicating with them uh, on a regular basis. We send out newsletters to 2,000 households in the region just to communicate exactly where we're at. And, and, and we have also an open office day every week where people can come and talk to us um, uh, about, about the project. Okay, so, and which is great. Um, 
that sounds great on a local level. What, what's with regards to the kind of process? You, you talk about doing PFS at the moment, but you're also going to be commencing, you know, permitting, etc. And, and in the context of what you said at the said earlier with the discussions um, in Germany with the, with the European Battery uh, Alliance and, and everyone involved with it, you know, priority projects, you know, getting projects through the process quicker is the is the Czech government on board with that, or is that? Well, that was only discussed last week, right? So it has to be a process put in place and communications, you know, from the European Battery Alliance and the, and the EU. Right. Um, I think what's really important is, you know, when we talk about fast tracking, we're not talking about cutting any corners. The standards are the standards and they have to be absolute. Uh, but, you know, the ability to maybe parallel process some of these approval processes is really what would enable these projects to get off the ground quicker and and they needed to get off the ground you know quicker and and, and not not get bogged down in, in permanent processes right okay because you know t- time's money etc and I, I, it'd be great to see some sort of join, joined up thinking from the politicians um ac- across europe and obviously uh, in the czech republic too um so, so permitting process. So, where are you with those those bits and pieces that you need? You, you've got everything that you need at the moment. You're not sitting waiting for anything, are you? No. So, so we did our preliminary uh, environmental uh, permit that was approved in 2020. That's been fed into you know the, the there wasn't any material issues, but what the, the comments I have did come back have been fed into our process. We now we finalized we froze the process earlier this year. We needed to do that to be able to then go out for the RFQs, et cetera, for the equipment. And now we've frozen that process. We're putting together the final um, environmental and social impact assessment. That will be submitted in the middle of this year. And you know, on current timelines, that's a, a six to nine month uh, approval timeframe. So we're talking early 2023. And then on the current process, we then apply for our land um, permit and construction permit and that could be another six months so middle of 2023 on the current sort of uh, permitting time scales that's where we're looking for uh, our construction permit and then in parallel with that is putting in the off-date contracts through 2022 to underpin the bank financing and then put that bank financing in place late 2022 to the middle of 2023, so it aligns with that that uh, construction permit timeframe. Okay, and just on the money front, the EBRD, uh, European Bank of Reconstruction, Reconstruction and Development, just you know um, put in 8.5 million as a strategic investment. What what was that to help you do? Was it was is it specifically targeted at something, or was it more more, more broad investment? I mean, specific, specifically earmarked at the demonstration part and the additional work through the development of the site in, in the Czech Republic. So it's all being spent in the Czech Republic. Uh, but crucially, it gave us uh, just that extra bit of uh, financing that means we're, f- we're fully financed through to that final investment decision. You know, all being, you know, all being well in terms of hitting those timeframes. Uh, at, uh, at the end of last year, we had $30 million in the bank. Plus now the eight and a half million it means we have just under forty million dollars in the bank, and that should take us through to final investment decision. So we don't have to go back out to the equity market for another raising. 
Uh, and that message is really important for the investment community, you know, to, to understand there should be no further dilution from an equity perspective um, um, through to final investment decision next year. Okay, yeah, it feels like it's it's moving forward. Um, what about some of the um, the technical partners, like you know the, um, the EIT, um, Inno Energy guys, Nano One, people like that? Are they all moving forward, or are you you're, you're still friends? Yeah, yeah. So um, the EIT is they are shareholders with us. Yeah. Um, EIT Inno Energy, their their role is not really a technical one; it is more um, facilitating. Um, communication with the off-takers and potentially, you know, the EIB, uh, people like that. They were fundamental uh, in the introduction to EBID and getting the EBID investment. Um, Nano One, uh, we are working with Nano One. Nano One is a company that's developing sort of a next generation metal direct cathode um, scheme process. Then it's really, uh, you know, as I'm learning more about this industry, the cathode manufacturers have uh, a real issue, and you heard Elon Musk talk about it actually, uh, that they bring in all these sulfides for their cathode production. They then have a big sodium sulfate issue to deal with in terms of disposal. Uh, they can mix it with phosphate uh, to go into the fertilizer industry, but a lot of processes at the moment just dispose of it into the into the sea or to the waterways, which we don't think is going to be sustainable long term. So this metal to cathode process is quite exciting. It will remove that pollution issue from the cathode step. And we are working with Nano One on that. And we're actually uh, very hopeful about getting a, a Canadian government grant to help fund our part of that work in supplying metal powders to Nano One, and developing a you know a large scale commercial process for them. Yeah, we 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 spoke to them last year, so I thought it was a very very interesting um, company uh, and CEO. Quite frankly, um, okay. Well, look, um, Matt, should we should we wrap it up there because I think that's a nice sort of overview of you know how things are progressing. Um, and you've helped us with a little bit of understanding about the, the, the market, not just from manganese, but in terms of the the, the battery market in Europe. Um, so look, I appreciate your time. Stay in touch um, as things progress. We'd be delighted to have you back on. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity.